In late 2019, which seems like a long, long time ago now, uh, about this time of year, I was preaching on 2020 vision. We were looking at the coming year of 2020 and what that would hold, and I was kind of laying out the ideas of uh, this vision statement that I was hoping to kind of dominate our year, growing together in grace and truth, and that was going to be our 2020 vision. Uh, at the beginning of the year, things were moving well, um, moving along as planned, and we were uh, starting this public reading that we continue today. We were every month taking time to make sure we evaluated ourselves and, and talked about the importance of just this process of constantly evaluating where we were at. Um, but then... 2020 happened, and no one saw 2020 clearly. Like that pun? 2020 clearly. Anyway, it is true that it's not the year that we expected it to be. Uh, starting about three months into the year, we started scrambling, trying to figure out how we were going to do church, uh, what that was going to look like, and how life would be, and one thing after another, and here we are, closing out, looking to 2021. You know what the best thing about 2021 is going to be? It's going to be the one. It means we're going to get rid of 2020 and we're going to at least get on to a, another year. And, and so I really want 2021, and that's kind of what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, everybody, you know, it's kind of our traditions as we draw the, the world to a close or the year to a close. And at the end of the, the year, we start to think about our world and, and what changes we want to make personally. And people set resolutions and goals for the new year. And, and I kind of want to, to do that today a little bit. And I want 2021 to be the year of the one. So that every time we see that one, we're grateful that 2020 is gone, but we think about the one. And uh, that's going to kind of be our theme over the next several weeks as we uh, start to unpack and think about the one. I want to read a passage to you. It's one that's probably familiar to you. And so 2020 will be about, uh, 2021 will be about the one. Uh, this is Matthew chapter 28, the last of Matthew's gospel, the verses 16 through 20, what probably in most churches is often referred to as the Great Commission. So Matthew 28, starting with verse 16, says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to a mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so I want to talk, unpack this verse quickly um, before we kind of move on to a bigger idea for today's thinking and, and time as you prepare for the coming new year. But I kind of want to unpack this with the idea of oneness or 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 look at the ones in in this passage and so this is matthew chapter 28 especially 19 through 20 which we generally call the great commission jesus's last instructions to his followers before he he leaves the earth the first one i want you to see is jesus is the one it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. And Jesus didn't stop them. He allowed their worship. And then he goes on to make this statement, all authority. 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me. One of the things we have to recognize is Jesus is the one. That, that when he accepts worship, if he wasn't God and he allowed people to worship him, he wouldn't be a good guy. That's called blasphemy. And then if a person allows people to worship them and they don't correct them, that's wrong. In Revelation, in the, in the Revelation, John, he has this vision of heaven. And this angel comes down to him to give him this vision. And John actually bows down and starts to worship the angel who's delivering the message of God to him. And the angel says, stop it. What are you doing, man? That's wrong. Don't do that. Because only the one, God himself, should be worshipped. And anything else is blasphemous. And Jesus, so he allows the disciples to do that. And then he makes this claim that he has all authority, not just on earth, but in heaven itself. And so Jesus is the one. He's the anointed one. He's the, he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the only Son of God, the one. And so we as Christians, we start the year of the one thinking about the one whom we serve. And so when we make, when you see the one this year, say this year is for the one, Jesus, who is the one. The second one in this passage that I want us to consider is that the Trinity is one. Jesus tells us, go make disciples baptizing them in the name singular, the one name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, so these three people, the Father, the Son, and Spirit, share one name, God. The Trinity for Christians is, is terribly important because not only is the Trinity one, our belief and stance and holding to the Trinity makes Christianity the only one religion in the world that recognizes and believes in and holds in the Trinity. It separates Christianity, what we call Christianity, Jesus followers, from every other world religion in the entire world that ever has been. This is the one defining characteristic that, that will define a Christian and someone who calls himself Christian but doesn't believe in this. This is the litmus test of biblical orthodoxy. The problem with that, it creates a, a, a problem for us, and that is Christian exclusivity. Most people don't like Christians because we claim to be exclusive, the only way to God. The problem is that's what the Bible says. In Acts chapter 4, it says, Let it be known to, to all of you, to all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man descending before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among which men must be saved. There's one name for salvation, and that's the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the one. He's the Christ. And there's, Jesus himself says in John 14, there's no, you know the way, there's no one will come to the Father except through me, which makes him the one way. 
And so our belief in the Trinity makes Christians different than everybody else. And yes, we believe and hold and and the Bible teaches that this is the one way to the throne of God. Now that seems mean and uncaring for many, but we must hold to our conviction of what Christ has taught us, that He is the one, the Trinity is one, and there is one way to God, and that is through Christ Jesus. This passage in Matthew also gives us, as Christians, one task. One simple thing that we're really supposed to be about. Uh, we, we make Christianity pretty complicated sometimes. We like to, to put a lot of, of things in there that I'm not sure God instructed us to do a lot of things. I was actually listening to a preacher on the way in when I was driving in this morning, and he was talking about a parable where a lawyer asked, the, asked Jesus, uh, one of the scribes asked Jesus, what must I do to, to inherit life? And a lot of people think that, that being saved and inheriting eternal life <coughs> getting to go to heaven is all about the doing. There's, it's really about what Christ does in us more than what we do out there. Uh, it's that Christ forgives us and, and welcomes us and pardons us. It's His work in us that gets us to heaven. But He does have one task for us. And it's pretty clear in 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is what He wants from us. That our salvation isn't just about us. It's not just about us getting to heaven. It's about those whom we will impact for the kingdom. And our one task is to make disciples. The question that I would want us to think about and where I really want us to kind of move towards today in this sermon as we prepare for 2021 is to ask ourselves, have I ever? Have I ever done the task, the one task that God has given me? Have I reproduced? Have I made one other disciple? Have I done what he's instructed me to do? I have a pastor friend who, who kind of marvels because every week when we get together, I, I, he often recognizes or says something to me about how uh, over and over I have tried to be very thankful, uh, joyful, and kind of happy for the circumstances in which we now find ourselves. And I mean that in the way that I am excited to see what God is doing in the world. I'm not particularly happy with the circumstances, as I've shared openly. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of trouble uh, with all that we're dealing with. And never did I think I would stand here and be preaching before, what, about 15 of us here this morning. But there is one thing I'm pretty grateful for today. As I think about this, I think about what God wanted his people to be. What he wanted his followers to do. I find that the current situation that we find ourselves living in, where gatherings and public gatherings are discouraged, is the perfect, absolutely the perfect climate for us to do what God desires us to do and be. And that is disciples making disciples. Because what the church and what Christians have seemed to have done for a long time is said, well, that's the preacher's job. That's the church's job. And all I got to do is get them in that building and they'll take care of the disciple making for me. And I don't really have to get in there. 
But in this climate, when we are, most of us are sitting there at home and, and need to have relationships on a much smaller basis, this is the perfect climate for disciples to start making disciples and discipling one another, which is exactly what Jesus designed and desired in the beginning of his church. It was never supposed to be handed over to the larger group, but each individual becoming a disciple maker themselves. And so let me start off today, really, that's just kind of our, our primer as we think about serving the one by reaching the one this year. Let me ask you this question. What is a Christian? You think about that. Think about people in your life that you know. If you were to ask them a question, actually, this is maybe some homework for you. If, you. if you get a chance over the next week, maybe this morning where you're at, those who you're sitting around, people you may interact with today, uh, some phone calls, let's start doing a survey, and you can kind of give me a report sometime of the, when you ask, just what is a Christian? Now, don't ask just Christians or people you think are Christians. Ask everybody. Ask, ask people that you're pretty sure aren't Christians. Ask them. I would be willing to bet that the diversity of answers we get for this question would shock, baffle, and possibly offend many of us. That if we were to go on the street and just start asking people, what do you think a Christian is? I think we would be kind of flabbergasted by some of the responses we get. I also believe that the diversity, the, the range of answers would be so broad that the word may mean nothing at all. That we would get so many different definitions for this word that we would say, nobody really has a clear idea of what this is. Now people in little pockets as they congregate with people who think the same way have a kind of group by group definition, but I think across the country, across the state, across the world, that word is so wildly used. <laughs> I recently saw a picture of a number of celebrities and well-known figures, everybody from Justin Bieber to Kanye West to <laughs> President Trump and Biden and people all, you know, all in the whole spectrum, and the one thing they all claimed to be was a Christian. You know, just the, the number of people who claim that, if you look at them and how they live their lives, uh, that is a, a diverse thing. And so I, I'm not sure identifying ourselves as Christian is the best way, and we're not anywhere told to go make Christians. That's, that's kind of the point I wanted to get to, is that Matthew doesn't say go make Christians. Actually, the first time the word Christian was used in the Bible, it was used as a derogatory term. It was a, used as a term to kind of make fun of these people who followed the supposed Jesus the Christ. Um, and we adopted that. The term that I think we should really look at and evaluate ourselves and, and, and strive to be in the coming year is a disciple. Because that's what we're told, go and make disciples. So what I really want us to consider today is this if, I, if this is our task, to make disciples, then I, then I want to, to kind of give a clear understanding of what a disciple is, you know, what it is I'm trying to be, and then if I'm supposed to make one, what it is I'm trying to make, <laughs> you know, and just kind of start with a, a universal definition. 
This will both help us to define and answer the question, am I one? And then if I'm making one, then I know what I'm trying to reproduce. A bit of historical background, where this word comes from. When Jesus says this to first century Jews, go and make disciples, they would have understood a lot about that term. See, in, in that time, all Hebrew boys went to Torah school starting at age five. So they would start learning the Torah, you know, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, first five books of the Bible. They would have started learning that at age five. By age 10, so within five years, all the boys knew the Torah, and the best students went on to study the remainder of the Old Testament. So if they showed some aptitude in those first five years, they got to continue uh, learning the rest of the Old Testament scriptures. Those who were struggling a little bit, they returned home to work at their family businesses and pick up the family trade and learn and, and, and move on through life. By age 17, when they had finished learning the Old Testament, if they wanted to go on and make a career out of religious studies, their next step would be to find a rabbi, a teacher, that they admired and apply to become one of his disciples. <laughs> That's what they would do. If someone, so the best of the best would go on and say, well, I need to find a rabbi that I can study under. And what they would do is whichever rabbi it was that they wanted to kind of learn from, they would go sit at his feet wherever he was teaching. He would sit and be teaching in public. The, the, this young boy, 17, would go sit down at his feet, kind of filling out his college application, so to speak. And the rabbi would see him and question him and, and see how he responded. And if, if he, the rabbi said, well, this guy's got something going on, he can answer these questions, there's some, there's some potential in this young man, he would be then invited to be his disciple. And so the rabbis would choose only the best of the best. And they could pick, you know, their pick of the litter for those to, to follow them. Then the rabbis would uh, choose that smart boy to, to be his disciple. The re, the, they were picky, they would choose the best disciples because what they eventually wanted to do was to teach this young man to kind of be just like them. <laughs> that this, this young man would spend the next years following that rabbi wherever he went learning from everything he taught, watching everything he did with the, with the hope of one day emulating him completely. And so the rabbi wanted the best students because that would be the ones that would represent him the best and the best be able to act and follow him and, and replicate what he had done and what he had taught. So when Jesus does that, for us to be making disciples, it's that kind of context, that, that we're to come and sit at Jesus' feet, follow him around, and then be like he was. And so a number of years ago, I tried to kind of bring down this idea of what a disciple really is. And, and I think there's some components to being a disciple that we can use to de define ourselves, to evaluate our discipleship, and then kind of set some goals for ourselves as to follow up our tasks. Now the first step of being a disciple, that is a follower of Jesus, is something that comes into our life. This circle is our life kind of representative. That, that there has to be this act of being born again. A transformation. Some of us call it conversion, salvation, being born again, being adopted, being a new creature. The, the Bible has lots of terms and ideas behind this miraculous event 
The reason I call it born again is because Jesus, when talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Again, an exclusive kind of idea that you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Later on in John chapter 3, you know how, how Jesus will explain that to Nicodemus, that, you know, for God so loved the world that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish. And so he lays out this faith act in who Christ is to be this, this change in the person. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about it this way, says, Therefore, is anyone in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I think that new creature that we are, that's what we call a disciple. In John 13, 15, it says, I have set an example so that you should do as I have done for you. That, that Jesus is this rabbi of ours. He's this guy that we follow and he sets the example. And so there comes a place in our life where we put our faith in Christ. I, it's that when we sit down at his feet and say, I want to follow you. The imitation is always open, but that, that moment takes place. Then the process of being a disciple begins. And I, and I think it first starts off with uh, this idea that, that leads us to where we're at today. This We recognize, for, for the person to be born again, they recognize that Jesus is the one, that Jesus is God, part of the Trinity, and, and therefore they have one task to do, to follow Jesus and, and obey him. The first step we kind of move in the disciple idea is what I call the learning step. Because the first step of being a disciple is you got to learn. you got to figure out a little bit. The Bible in 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has not been ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That the first part of us as disciples of Christ is to sit and listen. Hear what he has to say what it is that he teaches. Matthew eleven twenty four 24 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. That There's this invitation to come and learn. And so there's a learning process, studying the Bible, having others uh, kind of pour into your life, that we need to kind of know what God's about what he wants from us, how, how he's working in us, what the good news is, how that works, how, how we can grow in that. And so hopefully over time, as we learn, we start to do what's expected throughout the scriptures, and we start to mature, that we're not just infants anymore, constantly learning the same thing. Ephesians chapter 4, verses, verses, it's a long passage, Verses 11 through 16 said, And he gave them apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So see, that's God's idea, that, that the saints, that is those who are disciples, those who have been born again, they're to do the work of the ministry, building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of God to mature manhood. It goes on in verse 15, rather speaking the truth of love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head. 
In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, the Hebrews writer is, is talking to the church and saying, let us not keep going over the elementary teachings of Christ, but let us move on to maturity. Throughout the scriptures, there's this idea that we as followers are supposed to mature and, and start to grow and, and not just kind of stay in kindergarten all the time. There's a, a large expectation in Paul's writings of a maturing aspect of a Christian. I think I've told you this before. I find this kind of amazing. Uh, Barna does these, you know, study groups uh, around Christian ideas all over all the time. And one year they tried to do one on what it was to be a mature Christian. It was one of the uh, studies they had the hardest time to do because what they found out, all their information was inverted and they couldn't quite make sense of it because the more mature a Christian was, the lower they rated themselves, and the less mature a Christian seemed to be, the higher <laughs> they rated themselves. And so it became this kind of inverse action that they couldn't quite get a handle on. But that there is this idea of us maturing as we start to learn our faith, we start to mature in our faith, and that leads to the next thing, and we start to practice our faith. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's a strange passage to think that there are people within the church who hear the word and they deceive themselves. Well, what are they tricking themselves about? What are they deceiving? They're deceiving themselves to think they're disciples. And, and the mark of this deception is that they hear, but they don't do. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, as Jesus closes out the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he says, everyone who keeps these words of mine and acts upon them is the wise man. Those who hear these words of mine and don't act on them, that's the foolish man who built his house on sand. And so there is this idea that we're to be practicing our faith. Now, I'm just kind of be honest with you, as I've looked and experienced church in most of my life, this is where most discipleship is. That we spend a lot of time, really a lot of time learning. I mean, we've had Bible study after Bible study after Bible study after Bible study, and everybody wants to have another Bible study. I need to learn more, learn more, learn more. And we just kind of get there, and we just keep learning and learning and learning. We do see what we believe people are maturing. We've seen some people are mature, and, and, we, and within any congregation, there will be people that other people identify as a mature person. And so we see some maturing going on. We see some practicing going on. We see people ministering in God's name. We see people caring for one another. We see people, you know, loving one another. We see people caring for the needs of others. So we see some of the practice. But that's where we as individuals kind of spend most of our time in discipleship. But I think the complete idea moves a little further. The next one is witnessing. So once we've learned, once we matured, once we start to practice, that there's this witnessing component that God expected for his disciples to do. In Acts chapter 1 it says, but you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That there's this component 
of telling what you know, telling what you've experienced, telling what you have seen and heard. Witnessing, and we've given that a term, and we've made that term into a lot of things, you know, knocking on doors, giving out tracts, standing on a street corner, preaching. We've given it a lot of wrong ideas. Think of a courtroom. What does any witness do in any courtroom? They tell what they know, what they saw, what they experienced from their point of view. And that's all witnessing is, is telling what you know about God. You can't tell what I know, you can't tell what I've experienced, and you don't have to have all the answers. You just tell what you've experienced, what you know, what you've learned. Because you spent time learning, maturing, and practicing, witnessing is just sharing that with other people. That you believe there is a God, that you see that God working in your life, and that you've experienced Him. And so some people move on to that. We hear people start to talk about Jesus, but I think if we were really honest and we started to evaluate in these four realms, where do we spend most of our time as a disciple? Learning, maturing, practicing? Yes. But how often is talking about Jesus a part of our everyday life? Do we mention the word Jesus every day? Once a day? Once every two days? Once a week? Sundays only, how often do conversations about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, your faith in Jesus, what you've experienced known, uh, come up when you talk to other people? I think if we were probably honest, my guess is we would admit that that's probably a little less than the learning and maturing and practicing part. Then comes the biggie, proclaiming. 1 John chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it. See that testify? That's that same witnessing again. We've seen it. We testify to it. We witness about it. And proclaim to you eternal life. So proclamation is making a statement to other people. Testifying is telling what you know. Proclamation is, now let me tell you why. I'm telling you this, which was with the Father and was manifest to us, to which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. In the writing of 1 John, John says, look, Here's what we believe. Here's what we've experienced and tell you about. Here's what we proclaim to you. And we proclaim to you so that you will have the same fellowship with God that we have. And so that's why I kind of draw it as a circle that that the idea of a disciple is one who learns, matures, practices, witnesses, that testifying, telling what they've experienced, then proclaim it to others so that that person might then be born again and start to learn, mature, practice, witness, and proclaim. And, and the cycle starts over and over and over again. This is God's design. This is what a disciple is really supposed to be. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I did not expect you to hear and recognize all that. So if you want, I have a sweet little handout. 
even in color, that you can take home and study as you think about what it is to be a disciple and what it is you're supposed to make. But I want to ask a few applications. As, as we look at that, I know many of us have, have taken that first step, that we've been born again. We've recognized that Jesus is the one, that the Trinity is one. We put our faith in the Trinitarian God to be the only way to salvation. If we will listen to the scriptures, we realize we have one task. And so I want to, as we draw a point and we start to see this as an idea, let me ask you, are you a disciple? Are you a person who learns and matures and practices and witnesses and proclaims in the task of making other disciples? That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a person who makes disciples in the end. That's our task. Two, where are you? When you look at this, you know, where are you? Now, I'm going to be honest. It's really not as clean as I've made it. It's not really a circle. It's really more of a bouncy back and forth all across that circle because as soon as you learn something, you've got something to witness about. As soon as you mature a little bit, you can start proclaiming to somebody. As soon as you practice, you, learn, you find out you've got something more to learn. As soon as you learn that and you mature a little bit, well, then you've got more to proclaim. And it's just kind of back and forth all over the place. It's not circles and circles and circles. It's really a bounce back and forth all over the place. But would you be honest enough to say, you know, I keep learning and learning and learning and learning, and I never quite get to that practicing part. I never get to where I actually do what I've learned. I got more head knowledge and very life and very little life experience. Or that Jesus, you know, the witnessing and, 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 I, and I'm matured and I've experienced all this stuff about Jesus in my life and I never tell anybody about it. That you kind of get, the question is, do you recognize that you're kind of stuck in one place? That I just keep, keep taking in, taking in, taking in and I'm never giving out, giving out, giving out. Or, or I, I give out so much that I never take in, that, that my focus is always on somebody else, always helping, always helping, always helping, and I've emptied myself and I realize, hey, I need to learn a little bit more, or I need to mature a little bit more, or I need to practice a little bit more. Also, are there areas you avoid in that circle? You're like, I like this part, but I don't want to do that part. When we look at those, we, this is a complete idea. And so as you think about being a disciple this year, you can say, well, here's an area that I need to really push myself on. 2021. Every time you see that one, I hope you think about, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to unpack this even a little bit more and me encourage you and hopefully give some practical advice on how to do that, is that we're going to serve the one by discipling one. Now just think about, we are in a climate, we're in the perfect climate for us to start discipling others. As disciples, we are commissioned, that's what we call it, the Great Commission. We are commissioned, that's an order from headquarters, right? That is someone over us has given us authority. You as a disciple have the authority in the name of Jesus to go and make other disciples in the name of Jesus. That's amazing. He's called you to that. That's a high honor. 
And so every time you see the one, first think about the one, Jesus. This is his year, and I'm going to make it his year by discipling one. If the entire church of Jesus Christ, every person who is a born-again disciple of Jesus would take that one task on this year, the church would double in size in one 12-month period. And I don't know how many millions there are, but that would take it from millions to maybe billions in one single year. Every church in Clarion County that is born-again believers would double in size in one year. We would go from having someone as recently said 2,500 in the Clarion Borough or something like that. I forget the numbers, but say it's 2,500 people within the Clarion Borough or whatever it is claim to be a follower of Christ to 5,000 people in the Clarion Borough. It would double. That's multiplication that Jesus intended. If we would all, for the, serve, for the sake of serving the one, disciple just one person. That's amazing to think about. Back to that 2 Corinthians. I just want to finish reading the rest of that verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. That new creature is called disciple. <laughs> the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You know what our ambassadors do when we send an ambassador to another country? He represents all of us. He represents our country. We are ambassadors, representatives of Christ in this world. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is over and over in scriptures taught as our privilege, as our ministry, as our commission, as our calling, as our task to be helping other people learn about God, mature in God, practice godliness, witness about God, and proclaim the truth of who Jesus Christ is so that they too may have fellowship with Him. This is truly what a disciple is. And so as we close out this year, I want to ask you, will you commit to making 2021 the year where you serve the one by discipling one. And if you would simply pray this prayer, who's my one? Who's my one? Over the next couple of weeks, over the month of January, I'm going to give you a month. <laughs> We're going to walk through this for the month of January, trying to identify the one person that God would want you to disciple this year. You're equipped by God, commissioned by God to do this. And here's what I believe. If I'm right, if this is God's command, if God wants each of us to disciple somebody else, 
and we pray and ask God, who's my one? I don't often speak in guarantees about God, but I will pretty closely guarantee you he'll send you one if you really want one. Because this is his desire for us. So this may be the scariest prayer you ever pray. But I'm asking you to think about making 2021 the year of the one by serving the one by discipling one. And let's watch God's kingdom expand because the climate is right.